Today we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you want to find that passage in the Bible, it's on page 126 if you grabbed a Bible as you came in. And just this is a reminder, um, we don't necessarily expect people to come to church with Bibles. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. A lot of people have the Bible on their smartphone. I encourage that. But you can always grab a Bible on the table. And we want everybody to have access to the scriptures. According to a study done by Purdue, Purdue University, both words and actions are crucial in passing religious beliefs from one generation to the next generation. This study, which appeared in the Journal of Applied Developmental Psychology, found that children were more likely to adopt their parents' beliefs when they had a clear understanding of what their parents believed, which suggests that kids don't always really know what their parents believe. Sometimes on what they say and sometimes on what they do. Now, I don't always quote the Journal of Applied Developmental Psychology as an authority, but just an interesting study. They surveyed 58 females and 36 males who were university students between the ages of 18 and 25. And the research concludes this. We found the accuracy of a child's perception of parents' beliefs is affected by all of the things that their parent does. This includes taking time to explain their beliefs and encouraging the child to participate in, a, in activities parents think support their beliefs. So it's not just what the parents say they believe. It's how they live at home and how they live throughout the week that kids learn. I had a prophet used to say, more is caught than is taught. Parents, uh, if you want your children to follow Christ, because that's what we're talking about today is following Christ, if you want your children to follow Christ, you must follow Christ. Not only in what you say you believe, but how you live. So we're going to take a break from the Gospel of Luke this morning, and we're just going to focus on a very important passage, Deuteronomy 6. It's considered the foundation of Christian education. It is also considered the foundation for the Christian home. Uh, this passage is in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'd like to read the passage before we begin. Chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel. Israel was to be God's people in the Old Testament. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Okay? That's the passage. The first thing I want us to see from verse 4 is, parents, teach your kids about the true and living God. What is God like? Who is he? Why is he important? Okay? 
Now, to this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, let me give you a little bit of the background. The greatest story of deliverance in the Old Testament is when God led his people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt, where they had been enslaved uh, by the Pharaoh, and uh, they just basically had no life and had to do everything the Pharaoh instructed. After God led them out of Egypt, he did this by demonstrating a great power and authority, miraculous events, ten plagues in Egypt. And all of those plagues were focused on the gods of Egypt, those who were worshipped as gods of Egypt. Not really gods. Perhaps supernatural beings behind those gods. And God... uh, brought out his people with great power, demonstrating who he is. Next, God's people, Israel, spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, learning how to walk with God. And they were slow learners. And they struggled. And they, they weren't sure. They, knew, they believed that God knew what he was doing. And then God had their best intentions in mind. And they struggled. And after 40 years in this university of hard knocks, God was ready to take them into the land that he had promised, the land he had promised to their father Abraham 600 years earlier. Now Moses, their, their leader, after 40 years, they are not in the promised land. They are camped on the plains of Moab just outside the promised land. And they do not have permission to go in until God says go. And so Moses rehearses their past with, a, with a, several four or five sermons where he, he reminds them of who they are and what God has done. And he's getting them ready for what they will face in the future and how they are to live. So that brings us to verse 4. And in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, we see that the Lord is totally unique. And that background is really important. The word here in Hebrew is Shema. This passage is called the Great Shema. It's, it's a confession of faith of the Jewish people. It was essential to their faith. They got that. And the word here. We think of vibrations going into our ear, you know, like you can hear me this morning, so what? But the word hear means hear, O Israel, and obey, because there isn't such a thing as hearing without obedience. If you didn't do it, you didn't hear it. That's what Shema means. Um, The Hebrew word here, uh, this is, uh, you know, in our translation, the, the, the newest NIV We don't see this, but in the older translations, the word for Lord is capitalized each letter. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And I I like that because it's just it's a clear indication this word stands for God's personal name in the Old Testament in Hebrew, and his name is Yahweh. And God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter three. 
and told Moses, his friend, his name, that he's Yahweh. I am the one. And um, the Lord, Yahweh, is our God, and the Lord is one. Now, this is really distinct from their culture where there were many gods. You know, the Egyptians were polytheistic. They had many gods. And the issue here is when people worshipped the many gods, first in Egypt, they had that experience. That's where they were from. Now they're going into a new land, and it's called Canaan, and it's going to get changed to Israel. But this land of Canaan also has many gods. They are polytheistic in their view. The problem with that is there was a God for almost everything, and the gods were in competition, and they, all the gods wanted worship. They wanted something, and people out of fear and sometimes worry, I'm not sure if I want to be protected, I should do this. And they, they, they got scattered in, in what they valued, and they began to see the Lord the Lord God as just one of the gods. That's the danger God's people have always faced, and they've struggled with that. But the issue is there is no other God. He alone is God. He is very unique. He is separate from everything. He has all power and all authority over all human beings and all supernatural beings. And there's only one. Guess what, folks? There's only one. You don't have to worry about competition. You just have one to focus on. And he is worthy. He is trustworthy. He is holy. He is powerful. He is pure. There's no deceit in him. There is, he never participates in evil. You can trust him. This is really good news for this people who have been in slavery. And Moses is reminding them of this truth. The Lord your God is a God who keeps his promises. He is unique. There's no one like him. He is faithful. He doesn't change. You can count on him. Parents, teach your kids about the Lord, the Lord God. Teach your kids about who God is and what he's done. That's really a broad statement. But there's a lot to teach, and you have a lifetime. And by the way, I've learned that parenting just doesn't stop. My youngest is 37. All my kids still call me for advice, and all my kids still call me for, for prayer, and all my kids still go through difficult situations, ups and downs, and parents are still good. Um... I'm a grandparent. You know what? My grandkids need to have somebody who loves them and can show them who God is. Okay. Secondly, verses 5 and 6. Teach your kids about loving God wholeheartedly. This is the biggest challenge. Teach your kids about loving God wholeheartedly. This will impress your kids forever. This sermon's about impressing your kids. This will impress your kids forever. It begins with a personal relationship with God. Parents, it starts with us, a personal relationship with God. Do you have one? 
Now, I was a parent, how many years? Almost seven years before I became a follower of Christ, and I did not have a relationship with God, and my life was kind of ugly. It was kind of ugly the way I treated Sue. I loved my daughter, but I had anger issues. But I began a relationship with Christ, and that's made all of the difference. And it's not come instantly. It's been a lifetime walk. But it starts with a relationship with God. How do you have a personal relationship with God? God is the one who designed a personal relationship with Him. And we've got to have His perspective on how this works. We just can't dream it up and say, this is how I want to do it. Good luck with that. God has revealed how to have a relationship with Him. And we need to see His perspective. The first thing we need to be reminded of is that... uh, I have failed God. I am not perfect. I have missed God's standards. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are in the same boat. We've all failed God. None of us are perfect. None of us have got it together, okay? All have failed. That's what the Bible says. And, you know, you might think you're a better sinner than somebody else. That's okay, but we're all sinners, and then God says, you know, you, there's, there are consequences for sin. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Wages are what we get, is what we deserve for what we've done. And there are consequences for sin, and it's death. And yes, that's physical death, but more importantly, it's a spiritual death. And death is about separation. Physical death is when... My body and soul are separated. My, my body goes to a casket, gets put in the ground, separation. But there's something about me that lives forever. There's a soul part. Eternal death is when the, not only is the body separated, but now the soul is separated from God for eternity. Jesus called that hell. And it's very real. That's what God says. It's very real. The good news is um, God is the one who solved our problem. The problem we had was sin. The wages of sin is death. God brought the solution, and he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. Uh, Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He, He took our place. I deserve the death. He stood in for me. He took death paid my sin penalty, and then he gave me a requirement. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, or I could put my name in there, you could put your name in there, For God so loved you, for God so loved Jerry, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Jerry will not perish, but will have eternal life. That's true for you. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You see, this is how you begin a relationship with God. That's what I did. At the age of 25, I was, I'd been an atheist, and I began something new, a relationship with God, and God forgave my sins and gave me a fresh start. That's still available for every person and any person. Deuteronomy 6.5 Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Notice verse 4. Notice uh, verse 5. Notice this. 
It's your God, your heart, your soul, your strength. Friends, that's personal. That's why it's a personal relationship. Is God, is he your Lord? Can you love your God with your heart and your soul and your mind? It's personal. It's about you. I used to think, you know, Jesus died for the world, and he's sort of like he died for the globe, and all the people were in one category. Now he knows you personally, knows every detail about you, and he loves you, even though you're not perfect and I'm not perfect. It's really impossible to love someone. We're supposed to love the Lord, and this is a big deal. This is, it's not simple, and it took me, I would say, a long time. I could say years maybe before I could just confidently, verbally say back to God that I loved him because I had a really hard time telling anybody I loved him. I, you know, I told my parents going through the motions when I was little. I didn't tell them when I was older, and they didn't tell me when I was older that they loved me. And um, I, I could tell Sue after we got married that I loved her, but I had a really hard time learning to say to God that I loved him. I do today. It's impossible to love somebody that you don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense if you don't know what God has done for you to be able to love him. He loves you. He's demonstrated his love. He continues to demonstrate his love. And what he is looking for is a response. Parents, I think you know this. Do you like when your kids say back to you that they love you? Not because you made them, not because they have to. It's because it just wells up in there in them and they just want to say it back. They've experienced your love and your care and they just want to tell you back. That feels pretty good. I still like to hear it today. And when we get off the phone, that's the last thing we say to each other, each of our kids, love you. And we mean it. God wants us to respond back. Not just words, but with our lives. Verse 5, it leads to full devotion to God. Again, verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is about placing God as the highest priority in your life. You have to learn to do that. Responding back to God and putting Him in first place. Um, He's not only to be important, not just another good thing for your life, But he wants to be the most important thing, the highest priority. Loving God is a response to his love for you personally, and it leads to full devotion. At the bridge, we say uh, we want to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. That's what loving the Lord leads to. It's full devotion. It's with all your heart, your inner being, all your soul, your emotional self, all your strength, your physical self. But you know what? It isn't important that we divide those three up because the idea is it's just your total being responding back to God. This is, this, the focus is to love God with all that you are. Jesus said this uh, in Matthew 6, 33. He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. God's kingdom is about his influence. It's about his rule. 
God wants to have you voluntarily for you to say, God, I want you in my life, and I want you to be the highest priority, and I want you to have the freedom to rule over my, I want to submit my decisions to you. That's what God's rule is about. And he wants to be first. And God makes a promise that things you need will be given to you as well. But he expects his priority first before he comes through with this promise. It's conditioned on seeking God first. Now, this passage does not say, seek second the kingdom of God and his righteousness, or third, or fourth, or fifth, or when you have time. It says, seek first. And so it's about priority. All right. It also supports, uh, well, so verse 6, it starts with parents. It starts with parents. Loving God starts with parents. Verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now, these commandments that Moses gave on that day included the Ten Commandments. You know, and so today we have Ten Commandments in some courtrooms and in some schools, and they're big arguments about whether they, we should be taking them down or not, and I don't really care, okay? Because that's not what it's about. Uh, these commandments are to be on your hearts. These commandments included a rehearsal of the law that was given to Moses. And by the way, there are about 613 commandments given in the Old Testament. And as, they, as, as God's people went into this new promised land, they were to love the Lord and they were to show that by keeping his commands. Um, the good news is, when Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins, he fulfilled the law in the Old Testament. And we are not required to, um, to obey all 613 commands in the Old Testament. I'm glad that we don't have to sacrifice animals. I'm glad we don't have to go to uh, Jerusalem every time we worship there are new commands in the New Testament. Some of them are duplicates of the Old Testament. Some of them are. There are less than 613, but we still have instructions to follow God in obedience. One of my favorite profs in seminary, Howard Hendricks, said, Men, you cannot impart what you do not possess. You cannot impart what you do not possess. For one thing, he said, as a pastor, guys, if you don't have it, you can't ever give it to, to, to the congregation. If your life isn't there, your life will never get passed to anybody else's life. But for parents, parents, if we don't have a spiritual life, if we're not following God, we can't, we can't pass it to, to the next generation. If, if we don't do what we say we believe, we can't pass it to the next generation. We can't just go through the motions and expect our kids to be excited about following uh, Christ. Verse 5, it supports all that Jesus taught. Matthew 22. Jesus was being tested by a religious leader and as to which was the greatest commandment in the law. You remember 613 commands, and so the, it's like a trick question. Jesus, do you know the most important one? And they were quite surprised. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Deuteronomy 6, 5, right there. Jesus knew. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus said this is the greatest. This is the most important. 
okay? And the second, and this, and the first, and the greatest man, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And Jesus is saying, everything in the Old Testament hangs on these two. Everything in the New Testament also hangs on those two. It's about loving God first, and then our relationships with others, loving them. How do we live that out? Um, and Jesus made it just real simple for us. John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commands. There's your test. If you love Jesus, keep his commandments. Who is Jesus? Well, he's the son of God. Well, he's the second person of the Trinity. Well, he is God. And you know what? He is Yahweh. He is the one. He is the one. Last section, verses 7 through 9. Number three, teach and model love for God in your family lifestyle. Teach and model love for God in your family lifestyle. This is how you will impress your kids the most, okay? Teach and model love. Don't preach uh, at your kids. I've tried that. Don't tell them to do what I say, not what I do, because that doesn't work. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, impress them on your children. It's about making an impact. It's about teaching them, instructing them, loving them, coaching them, correcting them, imparting to them, impress on your children, make a mark on their lives, show them how to live in a way that honors God. Let them ask, ask questions. Explain your answers. Teach them about who God is. Talk about what's important to God and what's important to you as a parent. And then he continues. He says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. This may be the time that you'll have the most impact is when you have kids in your home. I don't have kids in my home anymore. They just come once in a while. But I had them for years in my home. And you have kids for years in your home. That's the opportune time while their hearts are young and fresh and the most teachable. Talk about them. It's natural in a relaxed setting. Read Bible stories. Read the Bible in your home. Why are these things important? Talk about honesty and truth in your home. Talk about lying and stealing in your home. Talk about deception in your home. And by the way, discipline, yes, it can be harsh, and that's not what God intends. Firm discipline is good at the right time. Discipline can be loving. But you know what? No is a very good word for kids to learn. It's all about learning self-control. We have a lifetime to learn it. And there are still people today who can't tell themselves no. Okay. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road. Now, 
Some of you still are walking along the road with strollers and maybe kids in tow, and you get to do that. It's probably not going to last very long. Most of our time is in the car. What a great time. They're captured. God is still a part of your life, and it can just be natural. Things that you can apply when you pick them up at school or when they're processing something that happened. Long car rides. There there are uh, a lot of opportunities in the car to talk about God and talk about your relationship with God. When you lie down at night, that's really practical. When you go to bed, great time to pray with your kids. Great time to read a story to them. A great time to ask them about their day. And just to bring God in in some way into the perspective. And when you get up, breakfast time, starting a new day, prayer at meals, prayer before sending your kids off the, out the door. Sue was really good at this. Before the kids went out the door, she grabbed them by the coat or the collar gently. She looked right at them and she prayed for them before they left. This is how God integrated verses 8 and 9. This is how God is integrated into your daily life. And here's what uh, Moses said. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so he says, tie them as symbols on your hands. And of course, you may know that the uh, tradition was, uh, a lot of Jewish people did this, where they, they took um, a, a leather uh, cord and they put it around their foreheads and tied it. And they had a little leather pouch right here in the center. And inside that pouch were commandments. And Deuteronomy 6.5 was nearly always there. God Love God with everything. And it was in the pouch. Because it says right here, tie them as symbols on your, excuse me, on your hands. What they did first was the bracelet. And they did it with the bracelet, leather strap around their wrist, little pouch, commands inside. And they took that literally. Oh, that's not bad. But what does it mean? The idea is let God's word guide you in your work and everything you do. Let God guide you. Let God's word impress you. Go public with it, or in the home, whatever task you do. And then bind them on your foreheads. This is where they put it, the same thing. That it's called the phylactery. Put it in a little leather pouch around their head. Contain the commandments. And, you know, if you walked around with this on your forehead, it showed you were religious. You must be a godly person if you're bold enough to wear that on your head. And the idea is to let God's instructions fill your thought life. When you think... Where does your mind go? Let it be guided by God's word. Thirdly, write God's commands on the door frames of your houses. They did the same thing. They, they took a little metal box and they put the commandments in it and they nailed it to the door frame. It was called the mezuzah. What was God's intention? The idea is to let God's word govern how you live in your home. Living out God's word in the home. When parents are loving and kind and patient and gentle and full of goodness. When kids see how their parents live in home. When kids see how mom and dad treat each other. It has a huge impact on them. Do mom and dad really practice what they preach? And then lastly, um, write... God's command on the city gates. 
The idea is to let God's word influence all of your public life. They took the metal box, the mezuzah, and they nailed it at the gates, put the commandments inside. Nothing wrong with that. But the application is, is to take God's word into your public life. Whether um, you're at the grocery store or the gas station or in a restaurant, how do you treat people who are serving you? Are you gentle? Are you a humble person? How do you live? Okay, let me have, I have a few quick suggestions for parents. First of all, if you want to impress your kids, cultivate your own spiritual life. And all I'm saying is you are responsible and you be intentional. And I know raising kids, moms and dads, there are all kinds of stages. And your kids are responsible, you're responsible 24-7. And I'm not here to guilt you. I'm just here to encourage you. You need to be intentional about your own spiritual life, whether it's prayer or whether it's taking time to have God's word in your life. It's up to you. And I, I'm not giving you rules on what must be done, but you are responsible. So you cultivate your own spiritual life. And moms and dads, it's going to be different. So mom's not going to do it like dad, and dad's not going to do it like mom. And be patient with each other and kind with each other. Secondly, cultivate your marriage relationship. This is huge. Your marriage is going to have a huge impact on your kids for life. They're going to decide whether they want to be married. How does this commitment for life work out? How do mom and dad navigate all the struggles and tests and trials in life? Are mom and dad close or are they separate? Are they, do they show Christ-like character in the home or are they just angry? And uptight? Are they selfish? A great one is do, do your kids see mom and dad praying together about the difficulties they face in life? And do they include kids along the way as they pray for those things? Use opportunities throughout the day to show your dependence on God. This is going to come in many different ways. Do you value God's word and depend on it when you're making decisions or in your behavior? Do, do your kids see that? Are you thankful for what God has provided for you? Are you content? Do your kids see that? Um, number four, read to your children out loud. Read to your children out loud. The interesting thing about reading to kids, um, kids who have parents who read to them, when they, by the time they get to school, there's so much it's just a no-brainer for them. Do they know how to hold a book? Absolutely. How do you hold it upright? Well, where do you start reading? Well, you start on the left and you go to the right. And then you turn the page this way. Kids who do not have that exposure get a book and they are clueless on how to hold it, which way you go. And of course, a lot of kids that get read to learn to read quickly, but they want to, they're motivated to read quickly. And one of the amazing things is about reading to your kids and helping your kids become readers, 
Think about this. God has chosen to communicate to us in a written form. If I want to help prepare my kids for a lifetime so that they can connect with God, I want them to be good readers so they can read God's word for themselves. Listen to this. The New York Times recently ran the article, Turn the Page, Spur the Brain, that presented empirical findings showing that reading to children, even infants, was crucial for brain development. They found that exposing children to a video or a picture short-circuited the child's imagination. One expert said, they're not having to imagine the story for themselves. It's just being fed to them. Another pointed out that children who were exposed to reading showed significantly more activity in the areas of the brain that process visual association. Even though the child was listening to a story and could not see pictures, they were using their imagination to visualize the story. In short, verbal communication makes your mind and heart do the work of grasping and imagining the story for yourself. Images tend to feed you what some other person's imagination has created. Read to your children out loud. Read Bible story books. Read from the Bible. Read good books. Lots of good books for kids. Number five, show your kids how to make wise decisions for themselves. One of the things we did when our kids were in middle school we sat down at supper time and read from the book of Proverbs, and we talked about wisdom. Sometimes there were one or two verses. Sometimes there were several verses. But we wanted our kids to see not everything is black and white. Some scripture is black and white. Do this, don't do this. But a lot of decisions in life are gray areas where you have freedom to choose. How do you make a wise choice? Um, but in you know, raising kids, it's not all about how much Bible verses they have. It's about making good decisions. And, um, you know, as, as our kids grew up, things like, um, how, do you, how do they learn generosity? How do they learn to give and save? How do your kids learn about handling debt? What is debt? What, what should they be concerned about? What's a good choice? Parents, you have a chance to impact that. Let them make mistakes, okay? Um, raising your kids is about helping them become an adult who can navigate in the world without you. And that includes how do, how do you keep a checkbook or how do you handle finances? What do you do in the middle of winter when your car stalls and it's 20 below zero? How do, you, how do you, your kids going to navigate when you're not there? How do they make a decision? And back in the olden days, it was how do you change your tire? Nobody has to do that anymore. You just call somebody. Um, six, help your kids process what it means to live in the world, in the world, but not of the world. And I just say this because sometimes Christian parents want to protect their kids from what they think is evil. And they keep their kids from a whole lot of things and their kids just grow up in a bubble, and sometimes the evil in the Christian bubble is, marks them for life. They pick up things that you don't know about. But how do they navigate living in the world, whether it's in the classroom, and in sports, with friendships, at parties? How do they live in the world and still follow Christ 
And how do they relate to people who aren't followers of Christ? With grace and kindness and sort of just out of fear, okay? All right. Just to remind us, here's what we've talked about. Teach your kids about who God is and what he's done. Teach your kids to model what it means to follow Christ. Uh, Teach your kids to respond to God out of love and appreciation. I love the story uh, that I recently read about David Kraft. David grew up in a home where his parents were committed followers of Christ. David's father especially wanted his son to know about how faithful God is and what God has done in David's past and what David needs to expect in the future as he learns to walk with God. David grew up loving Jesus. He decided to go into a full-time ministry. He attended Denver Seminary, and later he became the director of Fellowship of Christian Athletes. At the age of 32, David was an active athlete. He was six foot two, and he weighed 200 pounds. And then he came into an aggressive form of cancer that took, moved really quick. His cancer devastated his physical body to 80 pounds. Near the last day of his life, he called his dad to come into his room. David said, Dad, do you remember? Do you remember when you used to hold me close to your chest? His dad said, yes, I do. David said, Dad, would you just do that one more time? Would you do it one more time? His father nodded. He picked up his 32-year-old 80-pound son. He pulled him close. And they were eyeball character into my life that has prepared me for this day. You know, that's a dad who got it, who impressed on his son about God's love and God's character. Parents, that's what we're to do. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for the privilege to be a parent. I thank you for all the parents that are here and grandparents. And God, I pray that um, you will instruct our hearts Show us what we need to do. And may I encourage anyone here who has never begun a relationship with Christ, if that's something you're interested in, that you pursue that, that you ask somebody. And I would be honored if you wanted to ask me today. I pray for all of parents, Lord. Help us uh, to grow in our love for you. Help us to grow in commitment. Help us to focus on our relationship in our marriages so that they will honor you, so they will strengthen our kids. Help us to love our kids well and to show them who you are and what you've done. Give us the courage and give us the strength just to day by day to walk with you to help our kids our grandkids to become the people you want them to be. May we become the people you want us to be as we go. For Jesus' sake, amen.